0: And welcome to the Iran Podcast. I'm Nega Murtazavi in Washington, D.C. In this episode, we talk about Iran's labor movement. First we discuss the recent protests by oil workers across the country and then we take a look at the history of Iran's labor protests and their political significance and impact throughout the decades. My guest today is Peyman Jafari, a historian at Princeton University who focuses on Iran's political economy and labor movements. He joins me from Princeton, New Jersey. Peyman, welcome to the Iran podcast.
1: Thank you, Negar. Happy to be with you.
0: It's great to have you. Um, So let's start with the recent round of protests and strikes by oil and petrochemical workers in Iran. We know it's been going on for a while. Tell me what triggered this round of strikes and what are their demands?
1: Well, this round of strikes really started on 19th of uh, June when um, workers at the Bidkhun power plant, that's in the province Boucher uh, in southern Iran, went on strike. And that was uh, the first uh, strike that triggered um, a series of strikes by contract workers in the Iranian oil industry. And these workers uh, are represented by the Council of organizing protests of contract workers. That's how they call themselves. It's a kind of more informal organization. Um, uh, So they really um, brought out a statement uh, with uh, a number of demands um, calling their protests campaign 1400, the Iranian year. Uh, basically making a number of very specific demands. Uh, for instance, increase of the minimum wages to 120 million reals. that's uh, just below $500, um, collective bargaining uh, about wages, uh, the payment of arrears and uh, timely payments in the future. Uh, they also want uh, job security, because I already mentioned these are um, contract workers who are employed in the oil industry through subcontractors. So they work temporarily on projects or on temporary contracts and uh, then are dismissed. So they really want job security and the elimination of these subcontractors. So they will be employed uh, permanently by the uh, oil industry. Uh, They also, by the way, want cancellation of the uh, special regulations in the uh, special economic zones. Um, special economic zones are something that have r- really mushroomed in the last two decades in Iran. Uh, what basically means these are zones for export and um, there is no labor law uh, regulations in there. So Iranian, much of Iranian law doesn't apply to those regions. So they want the cancellation of that. Uh, they also want higher safety and health standards because there have been uh, several cases of uh, injuries and even deaths in the uh, construction and oil industry uh, in the last uh, years. Um, and also, finally, they really want an end of securitization of the oil industry, meaning they want the right to protest and organize uh, 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 labor uh, activities uh, in, their, in their sector.
0: Mm-hmm. And what has been the response of the employers and the government? We hear there have been uh, promises by the majlis, the parliament, the administration, the, the government to uh, basically correct some of these um, or meet some of these demands, as you were saying. What has been the response to this round of strikes and the protests? Well,
1: before giving an answer to that, it's also important to note the response of other oil workers to this. And, you know, because these are the strikers and Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have uh, exact figures of how many joined uh, these strikes after 20th of June, but approximately more than 10,000. Um, and you have to, uh, you know, realize that there are really hundreds of thousands of uh, contract workers in, uh, in Iran. So these were very important uh, uh, strikes, which spread also to uh, 60 plus con- uh, companies across uh, the oil industry, uh, covering almost eight provinces in Iran. So this, the, you know, wide scope and, and, and uh, uh, um, engaging lots of uh, workers in, uh, in those strikes. By the way, they also uh, created um, solidarity, drew solidarity from other workers because uh, the uh, bus drivers union in Tehran, uh, the teachers, um, uh, the retirees organizations all came out with statements uh, announcing their solidarity with them. And there were also a number of international uh, trade union organizations that supported these strikes. Uh, so there was a wave of solidarity from uh, workers in other sectors and but also in the oil industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what is important is the division between these subcontract workers and the tenured workers in the Iranian oil industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, figures are difficult to come by in Iran. Uh, uh, the official figures uh, point out that there are about 110,000 tenured Uh, blue-collar and white-collar workers in the Iranian oil industry. Uh, And they have much higher wages uh, and and better benefits than the the contract workers. So they were supposed to go on strike as well because they have organized protests since May, uh, demanding better wages, better conditions, uh, etc., uh, they were to go on strike on 30th of June, mm-hmm. uh, but that didn't materialize. And this brings me back to your question of uh, how the government responded. Uh, well, with several uh, measures. First of all, obviously, um, a repression. Uh, there has been much of, you know, some uh, contract workers have been blacklisted, have been dismissed in the Tehran refinery, uh, 35 of them, for instance, also, employers tried to uh, cut the food supplies for these contract workers so they couldn't uh, stay at the site uh, to organize sit-ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they would leave uh, the, 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 the workplace. So uh, it would get more difficult for them to organize other workers. Uh, but most importantly, I would say, uh, was actually concession. Uh, because let's not forget that, you know, the government has always multiple strategies Uh, that it employs, and also the employers. So it's not only repression, it's also giving concessions. Uh, They uh, started discussing the demands of the tenured workers in the oil industry in the parliament, and also uh, the Minister of Oil and uh, President Rouhani as well, um, saying they will increase the wages. So there are, as we speak, um, they are talking about wage increases. And therefore, the tenured Oil workers did not continue planned protests, uh, and hence, uh, really, you could also say a division emerged within the contract workers between the contract workers and these tenured workers.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, basically, just to explain to our um, audience, contract workers, like we know in most countries here in the United States, people who work on a short-term basis without much benefits for uh, the yes, work insurances. insurance all kinds of holidays and the different pay even and job security as opposed right. to the full-time employees who have who are in a different boat in some ways when it comes to the benefits and this is one way of uh, like you're saying the government creating division among the different right. sectors of the of these striking workers but What is the political and social significance of this round of protests and strikes? And um, I want to mention, we know that the protests and the strikes of oil workers back late up to the 1979 was one of the key reasons that helped the 79 revolution succeed. And we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about the history of the labor movement. But... I I feel like every time there's strikes and protests by by this sector, the oil sector, um, there's a sense of deja vu by political actors that oh this this must be it and this must be a repeat of the revolution. Talk about the significance of this round of strikes and if you see any resemblance to what was uh, what we saw before the seventy nine revolution.
1: Well, uh, I think, you know, uh, the strikes in the oil industry always speak to the imagination of, uh, of, of Iranians and observers of political developments in Iran mm-hmm. uh, because of two reasons. Obviously, um, the, the oil industry is of very significant uh, strategic importance to the overall Iranian mm-hmm. economy. The government... Uh, uh, draws much of its, you know, income from uh, oil export. Although Iran is a much more diversified uh, economy than than many of the neighboring countries. So we should be aware that this has also diminished the strategic position of the oil industry Mm -hmm. now uh, vis-a-vis the situation before the Iranian revolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, The oil industry is one among uh, the many industries, still very important, very strategic, but I would argue that it is less uniquely strategic than uh, it was before uh, the revolution. Mm-hmm. There have been also important changes in the uh, in the oil industry. So, uh, before the revolution, uh, you had much of the concentration really around the oil wells around Ahwaz and uh, Gachsaran and, and a number of places, and the oil refineries mainly in Abadan and uh, and Tehran. What we see in the last two decades is the expansion of the, of the oil industry geographically, but also a change in the industry. So now it's not only oil, it is also gas uh, refineries, it is uh, petrochemical uh, complexes. And many of these are very much, uh, the oil industry is capital intensive, which means uh, you have fewer workers producing lots of commodity, lots mm-hmm. of oil. Um, and that's especially the case with, uh, with p- the petrochemical industry. So along this industrial change, there has been also a social change. Iran, like other countries, has introduced outsourcing and privatization. As you just mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, this has resulted in uh, the creation of a broad layer of these contract workers and then uh, at the core, a fewer number of uh, tenured workers. But uh, in any case, the oil strikes still remain, uh, uh, as I said, uh, speak to the imagination of Iranians. And why is that the case? I do think that history plays a big role here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of the role of oil workers in the oil nationalization, 1951 to 1953, uh, the era of uh, Prime Minister Mossadegh, who nationalized the oil and confronted uh, the British uh, uh, oil company. Oil workers played an important role then. All workers had a crucial role in the Iranian Revolution, uh, contributing to the downfall of the of the monarchy, and therefore any kind of new strike immediately, you know, uh, evokes those images. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also something else, and I think uh, there is also a narrative among uh, particularly sectors of the Iranian opposition outside of Iran, uh, which I would say it falls within the wishful thinking category that every strike and every protest is read as um resulting into uh, the demise of the uh, regime the collapse of the of the regime in, in Iran and i think that's um that's problematic because you really have to look uh, what is happening at the ground what are the demands of the of the workers what are they saying themselves instead of you know projecting your own ideas on their movement uh, but reading what they are doing, what they are demanding, and where they might be heading, so these strikes might become more radical, more wide. Uh, but that's that's an unknown for uh, for the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I want, like I said, I want to ask you about the to talk about the history of the movement a little bit later. But let's first talk about the Iranian economy overall, because we know that this the economic problem is something that's very widespread across many sectors of the Iranian economy. It's not just these problems and demands that we're talking about. It's not just uh, unique to the oil and petrochemical workers. But talk about how the overall situation of the economy, an economy that's been under crippling sanctions, few years of maximum pressure, a lot of mismanagement and corruption inside the country. How has this shaped where we are right now uh, when it comes to these right. uh, protests and strikes?
1: Right. I think these protests are a symptom or you have to place them as a, a reflection of the Accumulation of crisis in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, as you mentioned, the economic crisis, which is both due to uh, mismanagement of the economy by uh, by by you know the the establishment, uh, but also due to uh, the uh, sanctions on on Iran, which have really uh, hit hard the uh, oil industry in particular, because you know one of the core elements of the sanctions is the sanctions of uh, on, on oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Um, and this has had uh, several concrete results, both for the overall population, but also for uh, those who are employed in the uh, in the oil industry. Overall, uh, as we know, uh, you know the the, the, bar, uh, the um, purchasing power of uh, most Iranian workers has has diminished with a, with a third or more. Uh, inflation has risen above fifty percent all kinds of products have become uh, more and more inx- uh, expensive. So uh, this really had, uh, had a huge impact on uh, any Iranian, and particularly those uh, uh, with, with lower incomes. Um, when it comes to oil workers, I think um, we see a number of specific dynamics here. One is uh, the sanctions have, uh, of course, uh, increased the pressures on, on oil workers. Um, leading first of all to securitization of the workplace because the government becomes much more sensitive when there is this foreign threat on the Iranian economy and on the Iranian polity. Mm-hmm. It interprets any kind of protest or action as being instigated by uh, foreign powers, be it true or not. Uh, so this has actually made uh, life harder for Iranian activists to organize on the uh, on the underground. Um Another uh, impact has been that because of the growth of the uh, underground market, black market, uh, many of the activities actually fall in the hands of these subcontractors. So the oil company is under pressure to actually outsource because oil has to, you know, uh, be exported through all. Uh, illegal channels uh, under the radar instead of in its normal way. Mm -hmm. So this also actually does create some pressure to uh, outsource Activities of the oil industry, particularly to those institutions that are aligned with the Revolutionary Guards, with uh, unaccountable organizations like the like the bonyads, mm-hmm. etc. And obviously, uh, thirdly, it has also uh, created pressures on the wages of the uh, of the oil workers, as you know oil export has become difficult or possible with higher costs. Mm -hmm. So this has all uh, impacted uh, oil workers' uh, uh, lives. Um, This were the sanctions, but let me also mention the element of privatization and outsourcing that has um, taken place uh, even without the sanctions in the last 20 years because of Um, economic changes in Iran, which are in line with economic changes globally, like what we call neoliberalism and post-Fordism, etc. Um, So these really have uh, created job insecurity for uh, most of these uh, workers as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And we are also, you and I were talking about this before the interview, that we're seeing just generally more protests. There seems to be more protests in various sectors Of the iranian economy over the past few years it's not just the oil workers we've seen nurses we've seen teachers and there are also general massive anti-government protests as we saw in november 2019 before that 2017 2018 um talk about why this is and if there's any political or social change that, besides just the economic problems that you explained, Mm -hmm. that leads to this ongoing rounds and rounds of protests, which the state also, by the way, uh, responds to with very massive repression, as we saw in November 2019.
1: Right. I think uh, there are two um, dominant views on this uh, in the the media among, uh, you know, academics. One is that actually there is um, nothing going on in Iran, uh, as like this is normal protests, uh, uh, routine protests. And the other uh, uh, view is that these are preludes to uh, a revolutionary uh, movement um, that is not Called even revolution by, by some of uh, the proponents of this view, but more regime change or parandazi in, in, in Persian. Mm. I think both are problematic because uh, uh, there are different dynamics going on here. One is absolutely what you're referring to the deeper social changes in Iran. Uh, I think uh, Iranian society has matured, workers and many other social groups. Are actually bringing their demands to the table in Iran, uh, uh, in Iran, and and posing them to the to the government. So this is part of routine claim making and creation of organizations. So uh, if I just give you one number, um, even if you look to the number of official organizations in Iran, uh, which are often kind of government influenced or uh, controlled. Uh, like the uh, Islamic uh, labor councils or L- Islamic labor associations and the and the guilds, uh, now we have around ten thousand of those workers. That's an increase from uh, two thousand in the uh, early 1990s. So that's a five-fold increase, which means that many are trying to actually engage even through these kind of official organizations to improve their daily lives, their, their, their wages, their working conditions, etc. So I would say that protests in general are becoming a routine part of uh, Iranian politics. Uh, uh, the population is entering the political arena through various channels. Uh, official channels, but also unofficial channels, particularly because the government has not uh, listened very well to those official channels, so uh, many feel that they have to take direct action, as we have seen in various rounds of protests, for instance, in 2019 and earlier in 2017-18, when uh, the last rounds in 2019, the um, subsidies on on, uh, fuel were cut back. So people enter really through direct actions to create pressures on the government to listen to them and make concessions. So that's one part. But there is the other dynamic uh, that these uh, protests uh, are taking place within an overall crisis of legitimacy in Iran, in which the political system is increasingly questioned as not listening to the demands of the uh, uh, population, Mm -hmm. um, and in which... Corruption is really conceived as a really deep-rooted problem uh, involving uh, the entire political establishment. So I do think there is also a radical dynamic to these protests that uh, they are trying to uh, not only make very particular demands uh, relating to their particular workplace, for instance, but that they are actually addressing the overall political system in Iran with different words and with different languages. But I would say this is a process. This is not something you can pinpoint as, look, this is just uh, trade union activism as would happen in Britain or in Italy or anywhere else, or... Uh, the other view that this is just the prelude to the revolution. Um, These are really complicated uh, processes, and we don't know how this will end, because, you know, the reaction of the government is going to be important as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned, uh, you talked about the regime change crowds and some of the imagination. We also... Here, especially here in Washington, from some groups of with more hawkish views on Iran, we hear this idea of uh, strike funds. It's been discussed publicly that the U.S. government, even in some cases, it's suggested that the CIA should set up these strike funds for workers and labor, the labor movement in Iran. You also mentioned how the employers are cutting food supplies Um, to prevent some of these ongoing strikes. What do you think about this idea that keeps repeating, at least here in Washington, of the U.S. government potentially and financially supporting um, these strikes and protests in Iran?
1: This is a terrible idea. I mean, this would be the death knell to the Iranian uh, labor movement, which has always Uh, try to keep its independence uh, within uh, the difficult conditions in Iran, which there is, you know, there's lots of repression, there is lots of securitization, and and they are being watched by all government institutions. So uh, aligning them with foreign powers, creating strike funds that would link them to foreign powers, especially uh, the United States, would lead to the criminalization of labor uh, activists uh, in Iran and would weaken them. And this this happened uh, has happened in the past. Uh, you know, the U.S. has a terrible, actually, record when it comes to intervention in labor movements abroad. Uh, this happened during the Cold War when uh, the CIA actively was involved in kind of manipulating the labor movements in Latin America, in, in Eastern Europe, uh, in, in Asia and in, in Africa, and this had huge uh, impacts on those uh, labor movements. And I should say, and I'm actually at the moment writing a chapter on this, on how they tried to manipulate uh, the International All Workers uh, Union uh, particularly in in Latin America, and uh, my study shows how this actually led to divisions in the in the labor movement, more repression of those uh, labor activists, and uh, th- this shouldn't absolutely happen in Iran. Um, one historical example: uh, this when this happened during the Iranian Revolution. Uh, instead of a foreign power, it was the clerics in Iran who stepped in to finance uh, uh, labor activists. This was uh, to the detriment of uh, the labor movement because it brought them under the direct influence of the of the clerics and cost them their independence. And many oil workers at that time uh, drew the lesson that they have always have to kind of maintain also their financial inter- uh, independence. And it is also the best way of creating solidarity within the wider society in Iran because that's the core of my argument. We, the eyes have to be inside in Iran, directed to inside Iran. So if you uh, organize a, a strike fund and try to uh, uh, collect money for that among students, among other workers, this creates also the possibility of creating real solidarity on the ground with both Iranian workers and students and... Uh, a civil society outside of Iran. But I would advise the, the hawkish voices in, uh, in in Washington to really hold back and let the Iranian workers make their own demands.
0: Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, there's a lot of securitization of any form of protest and dissent, especially in recent years. And People are accused of having ties to hostile foreign governments, right. which they don't. So imagine if um, this actually materialized and some people do end up having these connections. It would just be a much more dangerous, like you're saying, for the entire movement. So let's take a step back and look at the history of Iran's labor movement. You briefly mentioned the nationalization of oil under Prime Minister Mossadegh and also the role of the oil strike, oil workers strikes um, in the 79 revolution. Talk about this history, basically how the labor movement in Iran uh, started and developed over those years.
1: Right. Actually, you know, the, the labor movement in Iran has a relatively long uh, history, actually starting in the early uh, 20th uh, century, around the Constitutional Revolution, and then uh, in the 1920s, we see really the establishment of the first unions and also in 1929, by the way, the first uh, large oil strike uh, in Iran, which Mm -hmm. really signaled the entrance of popular politics and labor movement into the, the political arena in Iran. Um, We see again a revival in the 1940s uh, leading up to the uh, nationalization movement. It's actually the oil workers themselves that uh, uh, raised the demand of oil nationalization because they were feeling uh, the colonial and semi-colonial practice of the the British in the Iranian oil industry, which meant that many uh, Iranian workers had different wages and benefits than the British, and Indian workers in the, uh, in the oil industry. Um, of course, after uh, the coup in 1953, uh, we see a huge repression of the labor movement in Iran, both in the oil industry and uh, in, in other sectors. So in the 1950s, it's not possible to organize independent uh, 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 trade unions. Uh, the the, the savak is really trying to intervene in many uh, sectors and also the oil sector. So I have studied the um, oil industry uh, from the point of view of labor in the 1960s and 70s. You really see the presence of SAVAK within the oil industry to kind of try to prevent any labor activism uh, and uh, manipulate uh, who is representing the workers, uh, etc., Um, Then, um, uh, we come into the 1970s, when there is a revival of the labor uh, movement. We see an entrance of new workers into uh, the oil industry who come all with kind of radical ideas and also they lack the experience of the uh, uh, crushing defeat of 1953. So they are raising their own economic demands. And all of this comes together, of course, in 1978, when there is a revolutionary movement uh, emerging uh, in Iran involving uh, workers, students, intellectuals, lawyers, really a very broad movement. Mm -hmm. And it is at that point in September 1978 that all workers in Tehran stage a sit-in and organize a strike and from there the strikes spread to the oil fields around uh, Ahvaz and the refinery in Abadan and by December 1978 there is a general strike Uh, at the core of which are the oil workers, in fact. And that has a huge impact on the state, the monarchy, because it deprives it of uh, uh, income Mm -hmm. and also creates fuel shortages among um, uh, the military. Uh, But it has also an impact on the revolutionary movement because the revolutionary movement realizes that with the oil workers on their side, Victory is really possible mm-hmm. that, you know, the strategic position that I explained of the old workers has the power to kind of uh, paralyze the uh, the monarchy so um, uh, Hence why also the old workers have maintained an important position within the political imaginary of many uh, uh, many Iranians
0: mm-hmm. Yes, and popular um, belief there's usually the sense that once the oil workers join, then there's the army, and then the regime will fall as it did in '79. And uh, sometimes the comparisons are not very exact, as you um, explained. What is now? Let's talk about the role of uh, this labor movement after the revolution. As you said, the especially oil workers and just in general labor protests played a key role in the success of the 79 revolution. But what was the role after the revolution succeeded, the start of the Islamic Republic, and basically their relationship to this new state?
1: Right. As in many uh, other post-revolutionary states, what we saw is a, a combination of repression and incorporation. So the Islamic Republic tried to create a more corporatist system, which means creating... Uh, coordination and cooperation between employers, workers, and the government. So they created these uh, Islamic uh, councils and Islamic associations to, repre- uh, to represent workers within this overall uh, trilateral uh, negotiations. So that's what I'm uh, referring to as a, a corporatist model. That is really a feature of all kind of these populist uh, governments that emerged also in uh, uh, Latin America uh, for instance uh, in Argentina under Peron and uh, elsewhere so you also see this in Iran but there is something else that is also very important to our current discussion uh, as we were you know referring to uh, foreign intervention you always see that foreign intervention is uh, really deadly for independent workers' organizations. So mm-hmm. the start of the Iran-Iraq uh, war, when uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Iran in 1980, that was really a turning point which made it very difficult for uh, labor organizations to organize independently. First of all, because it destroyed the heart of the oil industry, uh, Khuzestan, Abadan, you know, Ahwaz, uh, creating many refugees, uh, creating unemployment among them, making organizations uh, more, more, more difficult, but also creating sense of nationalism and uh, the country being under threat. So that really diverted from uh, what the old workers and other workers were doing themselves. So that's another lesson I think that we should definitely take with us. We were talking about the sanctions, but uh, imagine what would happen with a war in Iran uh, that would only weaken, again, uh, the labor movement. But then when the war ended, uh, we see gradually a revival of uh, popular movements and uh, the labor movement. So in 1991 and 1992, and then again in 1995, we had uh, several revolts and large protests in uh, poor neighborhoods of uh, Tehran and surrounding uh, against particularly high uh high inflation, but we also uh see in the mid nineteen nineties and after the emergence of uh new labor organizations and actually the uh oil workers played a important role there because they went on strike in uh, late nineteen ninety six. Uh, demanding uh, better wages uh, and uh, the right for organization. And they actually tried to organize themselves. This was prevented by the government, uh, but it did uh, trigger the emergence uh, of new labor organizations. In the following years, we saw the emergence of the union of the bus drivers uh, in in Tehran. We saw the emergence of the... um, union of Per sugarcane mm-hmm. uh, factory in southern Iran and by the way in those uh, strikes in 1996 uh, among all workers uh, the Islamic uh, labor associations did play an important role and I'm mentioning this because this is a whole debate also among Iranian labor activists whether those organizations can be uh, uh, used and and uh, for for you know uh, claim making or should be ignored and only independent organizations uh, should be made and this experience shows that it's possibly both of them that uh, in certain contexts these official organizations that have their limitations because they uh, the government kind of tries to influence them nevertheless create channels to create pressure on the on the government and the government Uh, also with the current, by the way, uh, uh, strike wave, um, acknowledges that they need some organization on the ground, so they give a bigger space to these kind of uh, organizations. So after uh, 1997, under the presidency of Khatami, we see a revival of this uh, labor movement. Um, For instance, 1st of May really becomes a traditional moment in which workers try to, to organize um etc and uh in since then we actually see more and more organizations which are of course being repressed and uh activists being arrested but more and more attempts being made as creating um websites newspapers informal networks and that's exactly where where we are now those attempts are uh continuing mm
0: mm-hmm. And Paymon, I also want to ask you about some of the more prominent labor activists in Iran. Talk about some of these um, faces who have been, and they've been very much um, put under pressure, arrested, given harsh sentences over the years. There's some uh, prominent women who are active in this movement. Talk about some of these... Um, activists who've played a leading role in these protests and the labor movement, especially in the recent years?
1: Right. Um, I think uh, some of those faces, uh, uh, if I look to the more older of these organizations, are uh, really the representatives of the uh, bus drivers uh, union in Tehran, like Reza Shahabi and his wife, Roba Rezayi who have been on constant pressure of the, of the government. And uh, I have huge respect for them, how they have in the last decades uh, persevered under all these pressures. Mm-hmm. And by the way, have always uh, maintained their independence uh, from, from foreign sources and try to emphasize that the activities of the Iranian workers have to be central to the emancipation. Of, of the uh, Iranian uh, working class in, in, in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have, of course, also uh, the faces um, uh, of uh, Haftopeh, uh, uh Union, uh, like Ismail Bakshi, who has been sentenced and who has been imprisoned. And again, one of those important faces that has really linked always uh, Iran's independence to what Iranian workers are doing themselves so he has never uh, begged for foreign an intervention or uh, a, a support from uh, foreign sources but has always realized that the backing of these strikes has to come from ordinary Iranians mm-hmm. that yes it is a arduous and long road uh, but that's the only solution it needs um, investing, in uh, ideas, in organizations, and mobilization of those workers and the communities around these uh, um, factories, you know, because I'm now mentioning the sugarcane factory, but uh, this is in a very poor kind of um, community in, in southern Iran. So they have really tried to link also with, uh, for instance, the Arab population in the region, uh, in, in, in Khuzestan, I mean, um, and and other uh, poor communities to gain their support and create really this sense of solidarity to uh, take the movement uh, forward. Um, and there have been also many, many other labor activists who uh, are imprisoned or have been um, laid off and are continuing to push the Iranian labor movement forward.
0: Mm-hmm. And... Um Finally, I want to ask you about the new president. We know there's been eight years of the more moderate uh, president, Hassan Rouhani. His term is ending soon. And um, as we saw in the very controversial election, um, Ibrahim Raisi, a hardliner, will become Iran's president next month. And it's very likely that he'll have a hardline administration. There will be more hardline policies, both domestic and um, towards other countries and Iran's foreign policy. How do you think this new administration is going to affect, uh, first of all, the situation of Iran's laborers and also the future of these protests and strikes when it comes to the state's response to them?
1: Right. Right. Well, what we know from the campaign of uh, um, Reisi is that he was very much focusing on economic issues like fighting corruption, uh, fighting poverty, uh, bringing more justice. And I think this definitely hints to uh, one aspect of his politics, his kind of pragmatism rather than only social conservatism of um, acknowledging that Iran is in severe economic problem and that they need to address uh, these, these demands. So he, I, I think he will make um, efforts towards that. However, he is inheriting uh, really severe problems, um, economic problems, uh, and also the whole social infrastructure in which all these Uh, subcontracting companies, for instance, uh, are based on corruption and are uh, uh, receiving orders from uh, their friends in the Ministry of Oil and elsewhere. And um, I'm doubtful that he will be able to challenge those interests as he is, because um, there is the possibility that he will fall back on his other aspect uh, of his policies, and that is his role in uh, the repressive uh, apparatus in Iran. So I do see a grim picture for Iranian workers in which uh, he will try to give some concessions, but in which he will also uh make it much harder to organize protests and uh uh, or, uh for workers to organize uh independently and i do think this is unfortunately uh what we have all inherited uh in the last few years also partly due to the um maximum pressure from from washington in which a hardliner is now coming into into power and as many of us have argued before this will uh, weaken Iranian civil society and will it make it more difficult, in fact, for Iranians to organize in a way that can create long term institutions? Uh, on which a really democratic in Iran and socially just Iran can be can be built. So I do see uh, Raisi's uh, presidency as a as a, a huge setback. I mean, there were problems under Rouhani as well, but the situation possibly will get uh, even more difficult for workers to organize.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think we have to brace for some more difficult years ahead, as you also right. predicted. All right. Well, on that note, Payman, I want to thank you so much for joining the Iran podcast. I also know you're writing a book on the history of state capital and labor in the Iranian oil industry uh, from 1973 to the present. So I encourage everyone to look out for that when it's out.
1: Thank you, Nagar. Thanks for interviewing me.
0: That was Payman Jafari, a historian at Princeton University's Mosavar Rahmani Center for Iran and Persian Gulf Studies joining me from New Jersey. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Iran Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Iran Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. You can also support the podcast by going to anchor.fm slash the Iran Podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.